Hello, and welcome back to the Sky U Podcast by The Daily Gopher. I'm Chris, go AU Fur. With me again, as always, is Andy, GopherGuy05. Hey, everybody. And U Street. Hey, y'all. All right, well, we're definitely uh, stretching ourselves into the offseason now. Um, the good news, though, is that Iowa fans can always provide entertainment. Iowa fans just don't really seem to know how to handle P.J. Fleck. I think they want to make fun of him like he's Tim Brewster, but they know he's not Tim Brewster. I enjoy it because I think it's hilarious if when they beat Iowa under Fleck, Iowa fans are just going to implode. Like, are you guys... Is the state of Iowa going to make it? Are they going to exist if that happens? I mean, the Iowa State fans will exist. Like, I really want this to happen. I really want to see what Iowa fans are going to do if Minnesota under P.J. Fleck, and I'm being all wishy-washy, when Minnesota under P.J. Fleck beats Iowa. Like, Andy, I I can't, I don't even understand why they're getting so cranky. Like, Andy, do you have any idea why they're getting so cranky? Like, Fleck isn't doing anything that special. Well, they just have such a complex. I mean, when you're when your head coach is Kirk Ferentz and your heir apparent is his dopey son who, you know, turns every little thing into a disaster, um, you know, they're, they're feeling the heat, I think. It's it's fairly obvious. And, and uh, you know, I mean, they, they know that pretty much no matter what happens... Uh, Captain Kirk's going to be there to keep him on the even keel, and um, you know they they haven't really blown up anything in the last few years, so they're watching a team with potential in Minnesota gear up to try and make a run to surpass them for the next five years, and they're stressing out just a little bit. So, um, you know, it, it's nice to watch them draw straws and and find little things to nitpick, and you know. The, the two teams have been really competing over a lot of recruits in the last couple of recruiting cycles, this one included. So, you know, it gives everybody a little bit more fodder to play with. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting in the next three, four, five years to see how it all plays out and who really feels like they got the, the best end of the deal in some of these recruiting battles. And uh, hopefully, more often than not, it'll mean Floyd sticking around here rather than going back down to Iowa City. Alex, do you think... Uh... I know we're getting way early on the on the prognostication here, but do you think this is the year we get to get excited and watch Iowa fans melt down at the uh, result of a, a PJ Fleck led loss for them? As you know, I predict the Gophers to go fourteen and zero or fifteen and zero, depending on whether or not there's an extra playoff game every single season. So, of course, practically, probably. I don't expect Iowa to be a world beater of a team. They're replacing a lot. I also believe that it's somewhere in Kirk Ferentz's contract that if he loses to Minnesota, he gets a four-year extension. So I'm sure that has something to do with the Iowa fans being a little <laughs> bit bummed about the whole situation. It's hard to it's hard to fully prognosticate because let's be real, the Gophers don't actually have a known quarterback. The offensive line should be better, but again, there's a lot of unknowns there. We know one of the running backs that will be for are golden gophers and that's it the wide receiving core last year was bad and most of the people who are expected to make big leaps have either not played a lot or have not yet set on set foot on campus so all of those unknowns would suggest that one ought be rather pessimistic about minnesota's chances in year two with that said 
it's a rivalry game. And honestly, I feel as if the Gophers probably match up reasonably well with Iowa relative to who they may be matching up with except otherwise in the conference. Yeah, actually, um, <laughs> it's a really good transition point because um, Bill, Bill uh, Connolly uh, from SB Nation, also from uh, Rock M Nation uh, down uh, the Mizzou, Mizzou blog, um, put out his Minnesota preview as part of his whopping 128 every team in Division One preview series, which I can't even imagine the amount of hours that dude spends on that. Um, his Minnesota preview came out, and his Minnesota preview, you, you've summarized quite a bit of it. Um, the, the talent might be there, but we don't know yet. There really isn't a set quarterback. And at least according to his S&P Plus, estimated S&P Plus, predicted S&P Plus, whatever you want to call it this early in the year, um, Minnesota's in position to have something like seven one-score games potentially and then not come out on the the winning end of a good majority of those, uh, at least according to what you know his numbers are saying so far. Um, it got me – I hadn't really thought about it. Like obviously I know we don't have a quarterback – but it wasn't until we started talking about Strevler this week and and last week, and just I started looking at the quarterback recruiting under Kill and Clay's, and I'm just, oh my god, it was horrible. Like we got so busy arguing about is Mitch Leidner the worst quarterback in Division One? Spoiler, he's not or wasn't. But they just, there's no, I mean. Obviously, the Vic Vermontes thing and the depth issue that creates is on Fleck. But outside of that, like, Fleck walked into a situation with legitimately zero quarterbacks. That nobody that you would want to have in a position to be a starter on any reasonable Power 5 program. It's There were dudes on the recruiting list under Killen Clays who I didn't even remember we'd recruited because they were either not here that long, plus they were never any good to begin with. Or they were playing wide receiver. We wish. I would have settled for some of those dudes making it to wide receiver. That would have been an improvement over not doing anything. At least then we would have gotten minutes out of them. Hey, several of them played wide receiver for parts of games, and then for one reason or another decided to drop out of school. Oh, man. It just... It's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling the hole that has been quarterback at the University of Minnesota. Like, Tanner Morgan, like, if he's good, I will just absolutely die of happiness. Also because everyone I know who lives in northern Kentucky will just be texting me all the time with their happiness. So whatever happiness I'm not already feeling, I'll just take vicariously from them. But we all we all know if the Cinderella story is really going to be what ends up bringing us back, it's going to be Onyx Dad who's going to do it. So you know, I don't care if there's a Cinderella story. It can Seth Green can make a magical appearance with these crystal shoes, and just I don't care, man. Like I just want a Cinderella story. I, I don't I don't care who the quarterback is. But you're right. You know, local kid, walk on, blah blah blah. That would be. That sets up for TV beer. That that sets up for a uh, a Tom Rinaldi special for College Game Day, really. Especially if he you know has some history in his family of some sort of illness that they overcame or something. You know that that's 
that's a Rinaldi special right there. I mean, I would assume the only illness within the Anixted family is, at best, affluenza. He is the most non-walk-on walk-on in the history of the program. Yeah, I think it's just cool that he's willing to take the walk-on. Like, yeah, we can pay for this. I I'll take I'm the not begrudging. I'm not begrudging the kid. I'm glad he's here. I'm definitely not begrudging his family. Excellent for them. It's just he's not in the situation that would be the classic Rinaldi story for which he was found in a gutter somewhere and turned out to be a magically brilliant quarterback. <laughs> he was he was raised by Alley Cats, and now he, he stands before you, the national champion at Alabama. Yeah, it's not that. It's not that arc, exactly. Probably got his elusive quickness. Yes, elusive quick, elusive quickness. I can't talk. That's That's problematic when you're running a podcast, let me tell you. Um, actually, the one thing, uh, to kind of take it back to Iowa-ish for a second, um, the one thing that I saw that was dumber than anything related to, oh, PJ Flex, a horrible person. Um, did you guys see that Athlon Sports article about uh, Scott Frost should be considered a better coach than Kirk Ferentz, even though he's never coached a game in the Big Ten? I did not. That sounds absurd. But I like that trolling for clicks. It was like, I'm, re- I'm reading it and I'm like, oh my God, this is like Bill Moose level stupid. Like this well, is Bill Moose. We're going to win a national title in two years. Kind of stupid. It is, it is list season time. It's, it's the same as the 24 seven guy who ranked the top 10 running backs in the big 10 a couple years ago. And Rodney Smith is behind last year's Nebraska, Penn state and Northwestern backups. Because suddenly, now that those guys are the men, they're going to be all of a sudden taking the leap and be re- better running backs in the Big Ten than Rodney Smith. It's like, come on now, really? Give me, give me a break. We could probably get an entire podcast just off of bad listicles and preseason mag articles. Like, here's our here's our listicle ranking the top ten worst listicle articles in the preseason. Content hashtag content. Um, all right, recruiting. Something actual of substance that's that's good stuff. Um, I think since the last time we ran the podcast, is it just Nam? Um, and I, don't ask me to pronounce that kid's full name. I'm just going to do what his coach does and call him Nam. Uh, have we had anybody uh, commits besides Nam since uh, like two weeks ago? Trey Potts. Was that, was that after? And the kicker is the other one, I think. The kicker and the quarterback. We've had a quarterback, a kicker, and a stud wide receiver all commit to the Gophers. The stud wide receiver um, got people talking because, of course, you know we beat out Alabama. Although I'm sure there's plenty of argument about just how committable, quote unquote, that Alabama offer is. Even though, of course, any offer is committable in some form, even if eventually it goes away. Texas A&M, bunch of other schools. Um, Fun fact. our very own Gopher Guy 05, unintentionally, by pure luck, ended up seated next to uh, Nam at, uh, I don't remember which game you were at, but we're going to give him all the credit, um, the good vibes, the positive vibes from Andy are the why this dude is uh, committed to the Gophers. Uh, if he decommits, it's also Andy's fault. Yeah, it would have been the spring game this this spring, and I mean, it wasn't directly next to him. We had the, you know, the dudes two seats in between us because, you know, it wasn't that crowded, so we didn't need to sit that close together. But, 
Wait, hold up, hold up. At the spring game, you're telling me you didn't have to shoulder to shoulder it with everybody around you? Believe it, believe it or not, Thursday night spring game did not pack us completely in tight uh, in the lower deck this year. I, I know it's tough to believe, but uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I sat next to him. He he looks like a, I mean, he's a true six three two twenty five. He's a big kid. Now, I mean, we can joke all we want that. He didn't look interested, and I, I even made the comment in our Slack chat the, the day after saying, well, I think you can write this kid off of committing to Minnesota because he was looking at his phone and wasn't paying any attention, and it sure looked like he didn't have that much interest. He was just up doing the motions, and lo and behold, it looks like we were wrong because uh, the hope is, is if this kid is as good as advertised, he'll be uh, he'll be starting next to Rashad Bateman and one of uh, Demetrius Douglas and chris ottman bell in two years so um you know he he definitely has the potential that's for sure now it's just a matter of uh actually turning that potential into catches and touchdowns here's a fun side fact about about him it is possibly started out his football career as a left tackle or a left guard yeah i thought i thought i read that wasn't he like all state all freshman team or something as a tackle yeah something like that and then the new football coach showed up and immediately moved him to wide receiver if it is the case (laughs) that he has not finished growing which is plausible he could legitimately add about another inch or two which means you just got yourself a 6'5", probably sticking around the same weight, but looking a lot stronger. So probably 6'5", 220 to 6'5", 235. A wide receiver doesn't quite have the top end speed, obviously, but the potential ceiling on that is a, you know, a somewhat less good Sammy Watkins, which I think we would all be ecstatic to get anywhere near as a wide receiver. So basically we would get the end zone receiving production that we all wanted from Nate Wozniak before we realized that Nate Wozniak had no hands. I think that would certainly be one of the benefits of having Nam in the fold. Of course, one of the problems is that may mean they think fade routes are a good idea in the end zone. (laughs) So I suppose it goes back and forth. It's a legitimately, it's a legitimately great commitment. It's a legitimately great commitment because once again, it fills a clear position of need. It is a kid who had a bunch of offers. It so happens that one of them came from Alabama, and another one came from Texas A&M. Also, one came from Baylor. So you have two Texas schools that are expected to be reasonably good, who are near where he is from which I think is actually more impressive in many ways than beating out the Alabama kid because one can well, beat Alabama for a kid because one can always make an argument that Alabama has like 10 people it's going for and we'll just choose whichever the best oh, yeah. one is when it comes. Nonetheless, I've, this has been true broadly with Flex recruiting both last cycle and this cycle in that there are very few players he has recruited, especially of those who have committed, who do not have several other Power 5 offers. Nam's offer sheet is, I think, the best out of anyone outside of Fa'alele and Dunlap. In a particular position for which the Gophers have historically struggled over the last five to ten years to fill. 
Yeah. <laughs> we need wide receivers really badly. Almost as badly as we need quarterbacks. Uh, I guess that, that kind of transitions to a good question. Like, are we expect are we recruiting at the level you expected when Fleck was hired? And I guess I'll kick that to Andy first. Like on whatever, however you want to judge level, um, you know, team ranking number, average recruit rating, offer list, whatever you want to use as your as your uh, point of uh, data point to look at. Are we recruiting where you wanted to see us, or below, above? How do you how do you see that versus what your expectations were when Flex showed up? You know, I think for his first couple of years, it's right about where I expected him to be. I mean, we're pulling some quality players, at least on paper, um, and we're beating a few few really big-named schools for some kids. Um, you know, holding off Georgia for, for Rashad Bateman last year is, is huge. I mean, I don't think in any other class that would happen. Um you know, pulling the IMG kids, both Falele and Dunlap. I don't think any other gopher coach in recent memory would be able to do that. Now, you know, hopefully these kids play out on the field and get coached up, and you'll see the gophers start to use that increase in talent and, and get that same coach-up ability. And I think you'll continue to hopefully see the recruiting continue to take steps up as the Gophers move from five and seven to hopefully six and six to hopefully nine and three to hopefully you know ten and two and eleven one in four and five years. Um, you know I don't think anybody thought they were going to have top ten, top fifteen classes in the country and beat out on a regular basis the Ohio States and the and the Michigans for kids, but you know. I don't see any reason to see that, you know, with the talent we've added on, if you can really coach them up and give them two or three years of the program continuing to move up, that we can't, you know, at least be very competitive in trying to pull some of these kids away from the the major top three or four recruiting Big Ten schools. So, um, you know, for, for all I've seen so far, I'm pretty happy. Um, you know, you just hope to continue to find some of these late bloomers that really turn out and you know, as as we said right now, right now it's all on paper. We haven't seen an actual Fleck recruit pretty much make an impact on the field. So hopefully this year we'll start to see a bunch more from the last two classes start to really make an impact and then keep rolling forward and forward. But, uh, you know, as of right now, on paper, it's looking pretty good to me. Street, that kind of sum up where you're at as well? Yeah, it's... In some sense, it's hard to figure out how you'd expect someone to recruit because it's not as if recruiting is static. Them other guys are, in fact, actually getting paid to to do it. I do believe that you didn't hire P.J. Fleck just because he could recruit. You hired P.J. Fleck because he won a bunch of games at a program for which they don't ever win games. And part of that was the fact that he was able to out-recruit the rest of the MAC. Now, that's definitely true. Indeed, while he was at Western Michigan, he was, in fact, beating out, at the time, middling to not great Big Ten programs, for example, the University of Minnesota, for recruits. So clearly he had the ability to go and get recruits who, in many ways, you'd expect to be more above a program and go hit. I think you saw in year one that certainly be true. It's helpful 
like all things in recruiting, if you get lucky, I think if Zach Anikstead had been from, let's say, oh, Utah, the IMG connection probably does not exist in the way the IMG connection does. But that's going to be true of any kind of recruiting. What I think actually will ultimately matter, I think Andy said it really well, is that everything from a recruiting point is purely on paper. And the real question is, given that you have a talent base that is rising, so the floor has drastically improved under Fleck relative to Kill slash Clay's regime, and for that matter, relative to Brewster's regime, depending on how you feel about going farther back with internet recruiting ratings and such. But just because the talent base is improving does not mean the talent can be developed. And I think that, if you're looking ahead to previewing, is one of the things that really will be an open question this year. Iowa Gopher is currently running a look back at the quarterbacks of the University of Minnesota. And a couple days ago, he put up Marquise Gray's. And Marquise Gray, I think, is a really great example of the problem that Minnesotas have, and currently the problem that P.J. Fleck is also having until he solves it, which is you bring in a player with absolutely loads of potential who occasionally showed what that potential could be realized into, and when he did, it was unbelievable, but frequently was very inconsistent and was struggling with a lot of other problems that were from a structural perspective on the offense. I think that that is, to me, the the actual word I've always had about P.J. Fleck. It's not been the recruiting. I think he's clearly improved recruiting, and he's improved recruiting even in years for which Minnesota has not had particularly great classes, which I think is helpful. However, ultimately, if that recruiting doesn't move to production, it's just a very fun internet exercise. But those are super important to get clicks. I'm, I'm with you. I'm all about the clicks. <laughs> Um, all right, so sticking with recruiting, briefly hopping over to hockey. Andy, uh, we have us a pair of middle stats. Is that correct? Yeah, you uh, some uh, familiar names committing to the Gophers earlier this week uh, on the ice. Um, you know, if, unless you were sleeping under a log, Casey Middlestat, who was a freshman last year, ended up uh, top eight pick in the NHL draft and, and left after his freshman season to sign with the Buffalo Sabres. Um, well, he has two brothers, John and Luke, and uh, both of them, people are theorizing it was a package deal, um, committed earlier this week to the Gophers and Bob Matsko. So uh, John will be a junior next year, and Luke will be a sophomore. Uh, both play at Eden Prairie, just like Casey did. Um, John's a forward, Luke's a defenseman. Um, John John's going to be one of those players that, you know, not not to know the knowledge of, but he was probably the the uh, you required to take him if you want my younger brother deal. He'll be a fine player. He'll be one of those grinder forwards who you know probably won't crack your top six, but easily could be a, a third line forward or a fourth line forward. Um, you know, give you a little bit of offense. Uh, and he still has potential to to do. He'll probably play a year or two of juniors after after he finishes at Eden Prairie. Um, Luke is the uh, is the gem here um he's a defenseman and he's really started to uh, make some waves um he didn't play for eden prairie's varsity team he played for their bantam team but uh he just came off of uh being named to the all-tournament team of the world selects under 15 world championships team um 
So he's really, as, as some of the hockey other people I've been reading, apparently he this is right about when Casey was not that highly recruited, and all of a sudden between 15 and 18 he blew up and became the first-round NHL draft pick. So uh, there's definitely some familial ties in there, and everybody's sort of hoping that Luke might do the same thing. But either way, he definitely has the potential to be a nice uh, puck-moving defenseman who can really help the Gophers' power play in the offense here, even though we probably won't see him on the ice for bare minimum two, three years, maybe even four, depending upon how long he plays juniors after he graduates high school. Yeah, that right there is the reason that hockey recruiting is something I just like have to be completely tangential in following because the fact that these kids will commit so early, I have absolutely no concept of like who's in what class, what the class balance looks like. Like, I just can't. I can't. I just can't. <laughs> when you're when you're getting freshmen in high school committing and eighth graders committing and whatever other nonsense is happening in college hockey now, I just can't keep track of it anymore. And I leave it to better individuals like yourself to, to do that. Yeah, I mean, I, not even myself. I, I use a lot of resources as well. I can't even remotely keep track of what's going on. And, you know, it, it will be an interesting time here in the next year or two to see um you know you haven't heard a bunch of news breaking but it's it's fairly obvious that uh, bob Motzko is going to sign a lot of the guys he was recruiting at saint cloud and things like that and there probably are three four commits to the gophers under who committed under don lucia who in the next you know year to to nine or you know year to 18 months we will find out um Gently or not so gently, we'll be getting the nudge out because uh, they do have several forwards at bare minimum lined up in the next two or three years that would make for a rather large team. But, I mean, there's no guarantees. Things will shake itself out. Wisconsin is, is notorious for over-recruiting, first under Mike Eaves and now under Granado. They have something like 30-some recruits for the next five years already committed so that you know, your, your normal hockey roster is 22, 23, 24 guys. And if everybody who had already committed to Wisconsin will show up, they're going to have like 32 on their roster, which is impossible. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see exactly how that shakes out coming up in the next little bit. But, uh, yeah, hockey recruiting is, is a whole nother world. And there, there's a few people who, who pay attention to it really strongly. And, uh, I just sort of take content from them, basically, because I can't even remotely keep track. You, sir, are a quality blogger. Good good work. Um, oh God, I'm really glad uh, on this next bit. This is the part where I was going to have to insert funeral-sounding music as we discuss the demise of Stubborn Herbs in Stadium Village. Thankfully, um, that does not appear to be imminent. Um if you're not on Twitter, there's a good chance you have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about and you may have had a small stroke. I apologize. Uh, so it was announced today uh, that, or God, yesterday, I don't know, in the last 24 to 36 hours, uh, it was announced that the University of Minnesota Foundation had purchased a bunch more land around the U, including uh, the land that Stubborn Herbs is on. And there was the business courier or whatever the local business paper is in the Twin Cities uh, had tweeted out that it sounded like stubborn earns would be gone within two years, um, basically making it sound like yet again, another in, another institution, uh, another favorite of fans uh, and alumni and just 
random passersby of the University of Minnesota was going to be demolished to be replaced by something shiny. Um, Stubbs came out today and said, no, you know, that's not the case. They had just signed a seven-year lease. Um, they're working with Minnesota, the University Foundation to come up with a good long-term plan that um, balances, you know, whatever needs the foundation has with the desire of Stubb and Herbs to stay Stubb and Herbs and to, to remain in Stadium Village. Um, I'm just happy that they're not gone. Like, I, it's, it's, I understand exactly why everything that's happened on Washington Avenue has happened. That's what happens when you get light rail. You get density. Um, that's what happens when you get to this new world where apparently all students live in is luxury condos. I'm not really sure how that works, but it seems to be the thing. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that when Big Ten goes away, uh, when all the other, you know, established favorites all get taken down one by one, when Dinky Town, when we were at the risk of losing Al's breakfast in Dinky Town at some point, uh, it starts to suck. Um, and I'm just glad that, that Stubbs will remain to uh, offer us delicious beer and delicious food for, for the years to come. Um, I'm just going to transition this into question time because the first question is right on point with that. Um, what is your all-time favorite campus haunt, living or dead? And I'll start with uh, Andy. Hmm. You know, that's a tough one. But I think I'm going to have to, you know, use the hockey fan portion of mine and say it's got to be campus pizza. Uh, there just was something about that place that, you know, had that atmosphere and had that, you know, the pizza was always good. Could have used a better beer list. But, you know, this was really before craft beer really got blowing in there but uh I, i'm gonna have to go with camp campus pizza you know I, I appreciate stubs for their uh their pretty good beer list although their food was better five or six years ago don't at me if you really like their food now um and of course you have what i'm pretty sure will be chris's winner in in, in the big 10 um and the, and the subs were good but you know i think if you're comparing pizza and subs, and it was really good pizza, pizza wins every time. So campus pizza is my call. Street? Al's breakfast. I need to. I don't actually need to provide anything more than that. It's objectively the only right answer. <laughs> Am I allowed to throw a curveball and say the library? I mean, you can say whatever you want. If it's not Al's breakfast, <laughs> you are wrong. But you can say whatever you want. The library, dude. I'm, just, I'm I mean, kidding. I, I, I'm, I kidding. You, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. See, uh, knowing knowing how you spent your time around the U and you spent your time around the year, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think you might be kidding with that. Actually, no, no. My my bar my bar was Old Sally's. Old Sally's was my bar. Like, I I every good bar story I have at the University of Minnesota is as at Old Sally's. From the time one of my buddies passed out, he passed out sitting up on a bar stool and the bouncers left him alone until he woke up after an hour with a glass of water in his hand and decided the first thing he needed to do was pour the water all over himself to like really revive. And that the bouncers had been eyeing him for most of the hour he was asleep. That was when they finally dragged him out. Um, there was the time I decided it was important for me to throw sugar packets in the beer of everybody around me. And we were all drunk enough where none of them noticed. And so I would just spend, like, I wasn't very good. I was drunk, so I was missing a lot. But I just threw sugar packet after sugar packet until everybody's beer had multiple sugar packets in it. And then the rest of the sugar packets were all over the floor. Um, it goes from there. So 
No, that's Old Sally's for me. No, my actual favorite was not Old Sally's, although I did like Old Sally's. Um, we will not speak of New Sally's. It does not deserve the name Sally's. Oh, such a shithole. Oh, my God. And not in a no. good way. Old Sally's was a shithole in a good way. New Sally's is just a shithole. I don't know a single person who liked Old Sally's who's a fan of New Sally's. I mean, not a single one. I've, at this point, surveyed well over two dozen alums uh, and uh, just gopher fans who spent a lot of time on campus, and none of them like New Sally's. Anyway, get me off that soapbox. No, Big Ten. Big Ten would be my favorite. We had too many good traditions, you and I, um, with Big Ten being our stop before hockey games. Um, I was addicted to those subs uh, and the and waffle fries too. Um, yeah, it was. It's it's definitely Big Ten for me. Last week, the Gophers went to a Twins game, and the Twins let several of the players I don't remember which ones run in the mascot race. So I thought good question number two would be which Twins mascot race choice or which Twins mascot the, of the mascots that run in the mascot race at a Twins game, which one would you be and why? If either of you choose Bullseye, we're no longer friends. The Loon and the Blue Ox can stay. Everybody else, get the fuck out. Chris and I are going to disagree. I'm going to pick Bullseye. I feel like I've got enough speed. Also, I just kind of like Bullseye. My second choice would be Babe the Blue Ox. You are a horrible Minnesotan. This this leads me to my final question. When those are your choices, should they even be doing a mascot race? Or should they have just said, hey, that's a cool tradition that we have no good way to be a part of. Let's just move on. I'm pro the mascot race. I'm going to be honest. I think your hatred for Bullseye is misplaced. I don't have a specific hatred for Bullseye. I think it's lame that they have four identifiably Minnesotan characters and then the super corporate character. Oh, man, hey, are you also mad that it's referred to as Target Field? No, but I have standards that I apply to mascot races that are odd and have no real basis in fact. They're just sort of personal feelings that I've decided to shout loudly into the void because this is the internet and I have a podcast. I don't know. Now that I've made up rules for mascot races that, yeah, legitimately I've got no real basis for. We got anything else before we close out uh, this week's podcast? No, I think uh, whenever people actually listen to this, depending upon how how well you do at getting this up, uh, we'll obviously be taking a week off because most of us are on vacation for the 4th of July and, uh, you know, we're really hitting the doldrums of summer here, but uh, just just think, this upcoming Thursday, it's only it's it ten weeks or is it eleven weeks? It's it's coming up very quickly. God, that's good. First, once again. first of all, how dare you slander my editing timelines? There's no proof that anything ever happened with me never posting a podcast. No proof whatsoever. Uh, second of all. Um, yeah, that's actually really crazy. Like all the, like, I remember before June happened, I was like really excited for my vacation in June and it wouldn't show up. And now suddenly it's July and it's going to be football season and the rest of the summer just feels like it's going to disappear. So on that note, everybody enjoy your summer. Um, make sure to, uh, take us on your road trips. Feel free. Maybe not with children. Cause I don't think we have, we have a clean rating on iTunes and it's probably not totally deserved. Um, 
But we appreciate that you're listening. Uh, go Gophers. Sky Yuma. Row the boat. <laughs>